Before you listen to this great episode of Partner with Survivor, we'd just like to tell you about a powerful new practice tool the Safe and Together Institute has launched. Our perpetrator pattern mapping tool has been available for 10 years, but now it's available for the first time in a web-based version. What it does is really help you map perpetrators' patterns of behavior onto child family functioning, talk about its intersections with mental health, substance abuse, and other issues, address intersectionalities, worker safety, all in an easy-to-use online package that protects the confidentiality of your information and lets you wrap it all up in a neat little package, basically, to print it out and to kind of document all those different pieces of information. This is a tool that can be used by both survivors and practitioners. And for the very first time, it's available immediately online without any other prior training. The training is embedded in this powerful practice tool so that teams uh, that have not been trained in Safe and Together can immediately begin mapping in an effective way. That's right. It's like having a safe and together coat in your back pocket is what I like to say. There you go. So we really encourage you to go to our virtual academy, academy.safetytotherinstitute.com. Check it out. You know, you can subscribe to it immediately or you can check out a free demo version for 30 days. So please reach out to us and try this new tool. Now enjoy this great episode of Partner with Survivor. And we're back. Here we are. Okay, wait. Wait, what? We are partnered with a survivor. I am David Mandel. <laughs> okay, let's not get weird here. <laughs> you are? Yes, I'm Ruth Stearns Mandel, and I am the e-learning communications and strategic relationships manager. And you are listening to a special mini-sode series on worker safety and well-being. How did I do with that? That was awesome. Okay, which is... Uh, 15 minutes or less. Listen, um, we all grow and we all learn. And, and my way of growing is, is using less words, I'm told. Um, <laughs> but uh, your words are, are powerful, so, you know. Thank you. Use them wisely. Uh, so we are here in, in Connecticut. Um, on Tunxis Land. On Tunxis Land, which yeah. is part of the greater Algonquin Nation, a living uh, culture and, and tribe. Yeah. Um, and we are here on this sunny, beautiful Gorgeous Saturday day where the leaves are just shining in the sun. It's, it's really zero cool. degrees Celsius outside right now. Okay, right, let's get to get a full picture of this. So. Okay, and 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 in in reality, you're much more capable of sustaining right. that cold than me. So I, I guess so. You are. I, I guess it's my uh, my uh, northern European. All right, we have very little time. Roots. Sorry. Yes, let's go right to it. <laughs> so this is a series that we're looking at the issue of the goal is to look at issues of worker safety and well-being as a critical aspect of domestic violence informed systems. And it's something that relates to worker safety, efficacy, relates to attrition, relates to performance. It works relates to worker safety and mental I, health. I'd actually like to point out that it also relates to liability right. um, for, for organizations right. and um, you know, for their own best practices and and so many other things right. behind and, the scenes. And yeah. there'll be a, a few more episodes in this series, and, and but this is a series for workers to validate and reflect their experience. And we hope for managers and executives and human resources to help them think about what do we need to do to make our, our agency more deviant informed. So today, 
The topic is when workers are targeted by the domestic violence perpetrator of one of their clients. Okay. Or it also includes that that domestic violence perpetrator may be their uh, their client as well. If they're working with the whole family, right, 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 right. Um, I know that when I did men's behavior change work, I was actually targeted by mm-hmm. my clients. Mm-hmm. Not a lot, but on more than one occasion and, and, mm-hmm. and in one particular way, fairly seriously. Um, but would would while it's a really minuscule portion of my work history, it was definitely there. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so, f- and I do think that it yeah. needs to be said that when we talk about targeting, yeah. we're not just talking about violence. Mm-hmm. That's where every professional standards mind goes. So I have a list. You have a list that doesn't just include physical violence, which is the tip of the iceberg. Which is the tip of the iceberg, right? So I'm just going to read, you know, the the list, and then we can circle back, maybe, or do you want me just yeah, we'll go one by one? Yeah. So the the five things on i have on my list today that that aren't the totality of this but just wanted to kind of get get people thinking um manipulation or intimidation during direct contact so you're actually having direct contact with this person who has a history of perpetration right. and they are charming they are uh, bullying mm-hmm. um directly to you as a worker mm-hmm. and and that can can have both those things. The manipulation right. can, and the direct bullying can have impact. Right. Or statements of, I'm going to call your professional, you know, certifying, you know, body and complain. That's the second one Ooh, of right. you, you on the list, okay. you know, which is lawsuits, complaints, or threats of complaints or threats of lawsuits to your supervisor, to your manager, to ombudsman's office, to professional boards, or to courts. Mm-hmm. Okay. So mm-hmm. that's the, the second big area. Mm-hmm. Um, implied or real threats against family members, including your kids. Right. Um, and uh, stalking on online or in real life. Right. And then, you know, it's, it's an element that's connected to all these things, really. But really looking at intersectionalities that that these things can all have different flavors and 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 uh uh overtones or emphasis or direction if based on um, gender based on you know race that racism plays a, a part you know if you're if you're a black worker mm-hmm. um and you're working with a perpetrator who's also a white supremacist mm-hmm. that that can be part of the the threatening or intimidating overt or kind of implied Right. Behavior, right. you know, you're targeted because you're gay. Just, it's, it just right. really want to really or make that intersectional or lens. Your authority, authority is targeted because you're a black woman, right? Or your, right. you know, your 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 professionalism right. is targeted because of you know whatever ethnic, right, uh, gender factors. So, so going back to the um, the beginning, the manipulation or the or the the, the, the bullying during direct contact. You know, I I think that this is one of the. Um, most common ones, and I want to say about this is, I know that when I did work back years ago with male and female probation officers who had domestic violence case loads, that um, uh, the the female probation officers felt like they were much more targeted, right, for both the manipulation and the bullying, right, right, you know, right that right. was a real thing, right, and I think that didn't actually mean that the male probation officers weren't being targeted for manipulation, they may have been just less savvy about it, is, is what I'm thinking about now. Mm. You know, that, um, that, that w- if, you're not, if you're less reflective well, on, if on you how have, you're being targeted have, for collusion. But if you have uh, power and privilege, yep. 
um, you know, and you feel secure in your own physicality, like you can defend yourself if somebody attacked you, you're probably not going to be as aware of the subtleties right. of that type of bullying. And also, you know, I remember hearing um, a, a conversation related back to me with a male supervisor was saying, well, I could totally understand why you would act that way towards her. And so that, you that's know, the, yeah, so being pulled in. So then that's the little bit. We're just trying to give people a feel. These are Minnesotans and we want to raise the issue. Lawsuits, complaints, threats, or, or complaints of lawsuits. I can't tell you how prominent this is right. and how much it needs to be named. Yeah, and, and, and I think part of the problem is this, that um, because we protect the right of litigants to bring forth complaints against professionals, and that's a necessary process for holding, um, uh, you know, practice accountable and professionals accountable, that legitimate means is used as a tool and we have to contextualize it to the violence. We can't separate it out and isolate it and That's say, right. oh, you have a right to bring this forth. What is the motivation in right. bringing it forth? What was the stated intent in bringing it forth? And most of the time it's to silence and to impede accountability for the perpetrator. I have seen domestic violence perpetrators take their complaints and uh, uh, harassment attempts all the way up to chief executives in uh, elected officials. Right. I've seen them take it all the way to the, the administrative heads of agencies. Right. And and I have seen just that process, those efforts uh, creating so much distress. I mean, I want to I want to name the, diff- the just the distress that creates, even if it doesn't materialize into. And, you know, a, a, a kind of quote unquote real consequence. Right. Okay. Right. Implied or real threats against family members. Um, yeah. Um, I'm, I, the classic one in my mind is, is when somebody says to you, Oh, do you have kids? Mm. Um, that there's really, uh, you know, there's, there's often the two messages. Well, you don't know anything about my issues if you don't have kids. Mm-hmm. But the other one is sort of, you're already parsing if you're that person. Uh, you know, what are they going to do with this information? Right. And, um, you know, so that's, you know, or, or we had a case recently where somebody had a history of targeting the spouses, which mm-hmm. is just very insidious mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of the worker. And there's been a little bit of professional resistance to looking at threats as part of the pattern of coercive control. And in fact, I have directly had a professional say to me, threats are not actions. But what threats do is they create an environment of fear where the perpetrator is trying to manipulate people into compliance and silence. And it is part of that pattern of behavior. And any threats should be logged and documented as part of that pattern towards multiple people so we can understand the danger that this perpetrator represents, not just to the family, but to professionals and the wider community as well. Right. And I think it's one of the things that I'm very aware of. And when I train on this, I always tell people that one of the ways perpetrators have so much power is the way they wear people down and they create an exhausting environment. And part of that exhausting environment is that sense of unpredictability, yes. potential threat. Yeah. Uh, is he going to fall through? It's also the bother of having to deal with, with threats all the time. That's right. People fold really right. easily and really fast. Right. And then stalking online or in real life. And this mm-hmm. is, you know, the, you know, people coming up with information. It's very scary to, to show up uh, to a meeting and somebody have information about you where you don't know where they got yeah. it from, how they learned it. Right. Um, in small say, oh, towns. I was looking at your Facebook page. Right. Exactly. Small <laughs> towns or rural areas or people knowing people 
um, you know, it's a real, it's a real concern. I was looking at your Facebook page and you have a nice looking family there. Well, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> that stuff sounds very, and it's really hard to document that as a threat. Right. Is one of the challenges. Right. So, um, and that really we have to name that, that, um, going back to my experience with probation, that women are going to be experienced this differently. That if you're, you're black or you're a, from a, a marginalized group and you're a worker or professional, you may experience this differently. Mm-hmm. So I just want to name that again. So what right. can agencies do about it? I have, I'm going to just run you're through this. You're going to run through the list. This is a Minnesota. And, I, and, I have, and just to let everybody yeah. know, we do intend on turning the, these into guidance for yeah. people. So yeah. that is coming. First, um, agencies must widen out the concept of worker safety to include intimidation, manipulation, not just ex- explicit threats mm-hmm. of violence or actions mm-hmm. of violence. So that's mm-hmm. really basic that that when we talk about worker safety, it can't be just physical violence. Mm-hmm. The next thing is um, this kind of definition of worker safety must be a regular part and a preventative, not reactive part to supervision. Mm-hmm. If you've got a case with a worker where there's domestic violence, Discussion of safety, emotional and, and, and physical, physical, should be part of standard yeah. and, case and practice. Yeah. Not waiting till your worker comes back and says, I'm in danger, I'm, in danger. Yeah. I'm scared. Um, staff at agency complaint lines or review boards should be educated around course control and pattern-based assessments. Is this complaint that's coming in part of a pattern, part of, a pattern of harassment yeah. and control towards the workers or towards family members or both combined? Mm-hmm. And then... Performance reviews and human resources need to be considering the impact of threats and intimidation on workers' performance. Right. You know, we we can't claim to be a trauma-informed agency. We can't claim to be looking abuse-informed agency agency without looking at the well-being, the impact cumulative of working environments with violent offenders on people's performance, their well-being. All right. Did, how'd we do? We got that out. We did get that out. So this is a Minnesota. <laughs> this is one in a series. And you are? I am David Mandel, Executive Director of the Safe and Together Institute. I didn't forget who you were. Okay. I really remember. Okay. And my name is Ruth Stearns Mandel, and I am the eLearning Communications and Strategic Relationship Manager. And I'm, check us. Nope. Check yep. us out on safetytogetherinstitute.com, academy.safetytogetherinstitute.com, and all our social media platforms. And we're out. And we're out. 